This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Mondays. Mondays are a very interesting day of the week. A lot of us coming back into our nine to fives and sometimes it's productive. Sometimes we're maybe a little bit still lethargic and (laughs) hungover from the weekend. It's just an interesting day and you can start on on the right foot or maybe it's a little more of a drag your feet situation. But if you're tuning into Kelly and Remia, we have a reliable informative and excellent educational conversation every week on Mondays. This is Know Your Rights with Danielle McLaughlin. Did you know that everyone has rights? No matter who we are, we all qualify. But what happens when freedoms collide? The answers are rarely simple, but always interesting. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, to talk about civil liberties and human rights on Know Your Rights. Thanks, guys. Uh, I'm absolutely delighted today. We are so fortunate to have a special guest with us. Professor Laverne Jacobs is a law professor at the University of Windsor, specializing in disability and human rights law and directing the Law, Disability and Change Project. Professor Jacobs is the first Canadian to have been elected to serve on the UN Committee on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Welcome to Kelly and Ramia, Professor Jacobs. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's a it's a, a big pleasure for us. Now, you have made such a significant contribution to our understanding of disability rights in Canada and around the world. I hardly know where to start. Perhaps you, we could ask you, firstly, to tell us about the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities on whose committee you serve. What is it and and what does it do? Absolutely. The Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities is an international treaty that sets out in detail the rights of persons with disabilities and what countries must do in order to protect those rights. It's also the first international human rights treaty of the 21st century. And um, it's the only one that's designed specifically to protect the rights of persons with disabilities. Uh, It joins um, a group of international human rights treaties that protect the rights of marginalized communities, such as the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women and the uh, Convention on the Elimination of All uh, Forms of Racial Discrimination. And so uh, the CRPD in 30-some-odd articles uh, really sets the stage um, for how to Uh, protect and further the rights of persons with disabilities around the world. What is Canada's role on this committee? Well, the convention sets out a committee that is designed to implement, uh, first of all, monitor how well countries are doing and help to implement, so help those countries to implement the convention. Um, There are 18 independent experts who sit on the uh, committee, and they are elected from countries uh, that have ratified the the convention. Um, So Canada is a country that's ratified the convention, but it's important to note that um, although countries have ratified and there are individuals who are elected by the the body of of countries that have ratified the, the convention, 
every individual who sits on the committee is an independent expert. So we don't represent the, the views of our home country. Um, we really are there in our own independent uh, merit. Um, in order to become a, a member of the committee, it's uh, important to have um, expertise, so expertise in the convention and expertise in disability rights and how to how to implement them, um, as well as um, you know support from disability communities, uh, disability um, rights organizations in the country. So Canada um, doesn't per se have a role, but uh, this is the first time that an individual from Canada is sitting on the committee. Wow. So it, it, it's it, more importantly, it's your role on the committee than, than specifically the role as a representative of Canada. You represent your own expertise, which is terribly important. Are there decisions that have been made by this uh, committee that you can tell us about? Absolutely. And maybe I can start by giving a bit of information, a bit of background on uh, the types of roles, the types of things that the committee does. So um, as you've referred to decisions, I'll start by saying that uh, if an individual who's a national of a country that has ratified the uh, committee and signed the optional protocol um, is concerned that rights might be, their rights might have been violated by the state party, um, they can bring um, they can bring a complaint. It's called an individual communication um, through the UN channels before the committee. So, you know, in order to do this, it's necessary that the individual has exhausted all potential, um, you know, appeals and um, uh, routes of uh, recourse within the domestic country. Um, but uh, once they have done so, they're, you know, they can bring a matter before the committee and the committee will rule on whether or not um, there has been a violation. So that's one of the roles of the committee. Um, in that regard, there has been a recent decision just this year that I think is of note. It deals with post-secondary education. Uh, it's called Garcia Vara. Um, and it deals with uh, a woman who applied for a Bachelor of visual arts degree um, in Mexico. She was a Mexican national. Um, in the process, uh, she wasn't provided any accommodations. She had uh, intellectual disabilities and she identifies as a person who um, whose intellectual disabilities affect her learning processes. She wasn't provided with any accommodations um, and ultimately she wasn't admitted. Uh, the university indicated that they were very um, you know, fixed on having kind of um, the same type of application process for everyone. In the end, the uh, CRPD committee found that the approach taken by the university did not comply with uh, the convention. So in particular, Article 24 of the convention provides a right to education at, uh, you know, including at the tertiary level, at the post-secondary level. Um, uh, accommodations are required for uh, this right of education to be uh, realized. And moreover, there is um, within the general comments of the committee, uh, a general comment on accessibility, which indicates that um, accessibility must be provided within the educational context as well. So there are a number of systemic and individual remedies, but um, overall the uh, the bottom line is that it this decision really underscores the importance of having 
uh, reasonable accommodation within education, including within the admissions process. So I've mentioned um, decisions, but there are some other um, other uh, quite significant roles that the convention the committee takes on. And um, another role within its mandate is to conduct um, reviews of countries. So the reviews are done by receiving uh, not only the report of the state party, but shadow reports from um, from you know NGOs and other organizations of persons with disabilities that often show us the lived experience and how what the country uh, has accomplished or not accomplished is affecting people with disabilities on the ground in the country. Um, we then engage in what's called a constructive dialogue with the um, country in order to you know, kind of get more information about what's going on and also to um, suggest ways of improving. So um, that's a second uh, function of the committee. Um, another function is to conduct inquiries. And so uh, if there is reasonable evidence to suggest that there are systemic violations in the country um, of disability rights, uh, it's possible for a country that signed the optional protocol to um, to bring forward a request for an inquiry to take place. And, you know, we do follow-ups to those inquiries as well. There's one uh, follow-up going on right now for the UK. And the final thing I'll mention, um, well, two quick things. One is uh, we publish general comments, which help to um, help countries to interpret the, the convention, so to know how the articles of the convention should be interpreted. And we also um, issue statements um, and guidelines. For example, we have had a statement on uh, pursuing the importance of pursuing deinstitutionalization for persons with disabilities. And respect with respect to guidelines, we have just um, over a year ago, we published um, a set of guidelines on deinstitutionalization, including in emergencies. And um, we, you know, had a, a panel on deinstitutionalization to uh, to commemorate uh, its uh, development um, in August. So I will stop there. <laughs> Thanks. That's a lot of work. That's that's amazing. <laughs> so citizens of countries that are signatories to the convention, um, is it by reading uh, your reports, or you know, what other ways can can they figure out how their country is doing with regard to the rights of persons with disabilities? Oh, it's such an excellent question, Danielle. And so um, one of the principal ways of knowing how a country is doing is to look at the concluding observations that come out of the uh, constructive dialogue. So every four years, the countries are supposed to um, you know, report on how they're doing and they go through this constructive dialogue. At the end of the process, the committee uh, sits down and, um, you know, summarizes what needs to be done and what's been done well. And the document that um, includes that summary or that, you know, contains that summary is called concluding observations. So those concluding observations are available on the UN website. Um, other ways, though, of knowing or having a sense of how a country is doing, you know, as a person who is, um, you know, part of a country that's, uh, you know, ratified, a citizen of a country that's ratified the convention, is to keep in touch with organizations of persons with disabilities and, you know, to see, um, you know, what kinds of experiences 
uh, people are having or, you know, and also to share one's own experiences. So that's what I would, I would suggest. Those, those are important things. So, you know, and, and I guess there's a certain amount of media like AMI, which, uh, you know, makes sure that, that, we know what's going on with regard to people with disabilities in our in our own country. I understand that one of your, your particular areas of concern has been the right to an education for people with disabilities. What are some of the ways that Canada has worked or perhaps needs to work more to protect these rights? Oh, thanks. That's uh, an excellent question. And yes, um, as an academic, I am very interested in uh, the right to education, and most recently I've been um, working on the right to post-secondary education or access to post-secondary education. Um, I recently published a, a study that looked at human rights tribunal decisions in Canada over a seven-year period, and some of the major findings um, show that there are barriers um, at the level of admissions, um, at the level of in-program accommodations, uh, as well as um, something I've termed legal barriers. So with respect to the first of those, admissions, um, one sees um, a lack of accommodations in standardized testing. So, um, you know, a lot of uh, admissions processes, particularly for professional programs, focus on having some sort of standardized test. And uh, like the LSAT you know, what can, for, for like, law students, for example. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so what, uh, what I found is that um, when you look at um, standardized testing and you, um, uh, you know, and, and uh, accommodations are sought and um, often refused, the reasoning behind all of that often deals with um, a certain amount of faith or a bias towards standardized testing as a form of test that will provide objective um, results, objective results in terms of the strengths and weaknesses of the applicants. So this isn't necessarily the case, you know, it yes. hasn't necessarily been proven that standardized testing will um, will be uh, the way to to find out uh, how well someone will do in a, a program. Um, but what we also found, and I had uh, research assistants uh, work with me from the Law, Disability and Social Change Project, what we also found is that students are, or applicants are often asked for an incredible amount of evidence. And sometimes it's very specific medical evidence. You know, a specific medical test is required if you are seeking accommodation so that you don't have to write a standardized test. Um, you know, this actually uh, is a um, another manifestation. I mean, we see this in other places as well, the requests for specific types of tests and large volumes of medical evidence. We see this in in-program accommodations quite often uh, as well. But, um, you know, the admissions barriers, that's one of the, the major ones that we, we saw. Um, another concern, and this relates to admissions as well, deals with funding. And um, it appears that sometimes there's a disconnect between the goals of funding programs for students with disabilities and, um, you know, what students with disabilities actually seek to achieve. Moreover, there can be a disconnect between what uh, funding programs uh, see as 
the ultimate goal um, for students with disabilities, and Article 24 of the Convention, which provides for a right to education and um, stresses the importance of providing um, ways for students with disabilities to maximize their potential, uh, their abilities, you know, their talents and skills. And so um, just to give an example, you know, there may be funding programs out there. We came across one that um, emphasizes vocational skills and trades, you know, and so it becomes very difficult for a student looking to pursue a liberal education or a liberal arts education or, a, a, you know, other types of um, education that uh, may even take them beyond one degree, but um, that emphasize different skills and vocational skills uh, and trades. Um, it becomes very difficult for a student of that nature to receive funding. These so are really important yeah. um, uh, issues. And I, I think sometimes simply asking somebody to prove that they have a disability or medical, uh, you know, medical records is in of itself a, a barrier. Some people would not want to go much farther than that. So I think you've brought up extremely important um, issues here. And I really thank you so much for joining us. I have about a thousand more questions I would like to ask you. So I am going to ask you if it's okay to invite you back in the new year to uh, join us and, and talk some more about the work that you're doing. I think it's such important work. Thank you so much. Thank you, Danielle. And yes, I'd be pleased to come back. Thanks so much. <laughs> Lovely, thank you. That was my special guest, Professor Laverne Jacobs of the University of Windsor Faculty of Law, talking with us today about her role on the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities and on some of the issues that she has experienced. Thank you. I do hope Professor Laverne Jacobs comes back on Know Your Rights for another discussion with Daniel McLaughlin. There's always a lot to learn uh, in this field when we talk Know Your Rights with Danielle on Mondays. Taking a break, Grant and I will be back to wrap up the show with you. We're going to tell you what's coming up on now with Dave Brown. That's the Tuesday morning edition. And uh, we have some ways that we want to wrap up the show with a closing moment. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.